listeners, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Lost in Postulation podcast. I'm Nicola Volpi and joining me, it was a long, arduous negotiation, but at the 11th hour, we reached a deal to renew his LIP contract for another 10 years. It's Neil Fitzpatrick. Grudgingly, I'm going nowhere. You know how many podcasts approach me. It's been absolutely crazy. We've had Rogan. We've had all the big names. I ran out of big names instantly there, but all the big names are approaching me about podcasts. And you know what? I had to turn them all away. And it wasn't even about the money, although the money was very important. I just wanted to postulate, hence why I'm here loyal to the game and how did that conversation with rogan go he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that takes rejection uh, on the chin nicely yeah he, he had some colorful choice words for me and i don't think he'll be sending me any christmas hampers or at least not anymore mm. but um all that aside you know we are both adults and we both um are colleagues in the podcast game and we we maybe don't see eye to eye on this but we we also thrive off our love of the game so i think in time he will come to accept this uh, this rejection from me Right, and you don't see eye to eye on this, but you know, you see eye to eye on nearly everything else, would you say? Actually, I would love to to see the list of things we do see eye to eye on, me and Joe, Joe Rogan. I think right. it's probably a vanishingly short list. A we one like, pager. Yeah, it's a one pager. It's a it's a few bullet points. Uh, and probably the less said the better. I don't want to start the year by throwing shade at a fellow podcaster, so maybe I should keep it more positive. So let's do that. I like that. And speaking of starting the year, Neil, how many New Year's resolutions have you thrown by the wayside already now recording on the 10th of January? Well, the thing is, if you make fewer resolutions, you break fewer resolutions. That's my uh, that's right. my phrase that I, I just came up with now. And um, no, to be fair, I only really had two. And so far, they're both going well. One is the old dry January. I'm keeping that going. Mm. I've been doing it the last few years. Always enjoy it. And it gets easier each year. So really, I'm well, uh, loving that. Yeah. So Drajan, that's still going. And then I am training for something. I have a half marathon coming up in March that uh, my watch tells me what to do to train for. And I haven't missed a session yet, which I also think is a good sign. Now it is early days. But um, if I can just keep that going, three, four sessions a week, then those are my two New Year's resolutions. Big tick in the box. What about you? That's amazing. I'm very proud of you. Um, I didn't really put any resolutions uh, for the new year. Um, I'm not a huge, this might be a postulation. I'm not a huge believer in the new year resolution instead of just doing something, you know, why wait until the new year to do it? Uh, I know that sounds very cliche, but yeah, I haven't really put anything down, but, but let's see. Um, also, uh, running a lot like you and, uh, also dry January like you. So you're uh, dry, you're dry lifing it. I'm quite dry in general. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like you said, keep the list short. You won't disappoint anybody. Yeah. Do do I you find uh, do you find with the dry January, for example, that you actually kind of like when when people fast for Ramadan that they get to the evening to break the fast so hungry that then they actually end up eating even more throughout the period of Ramadan? Do you find that that you end up overcompensating in December in preparation for the dry January and then coming out of the gates flying in February? Uh, definitely the latter in, in previous years. Like there's been um, February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, whatever the first weekend of February is, I do tend to, as you say, come out swinging or, or like really uh, hit the ground running. Not so much this Christmas, actually, when I think mm. about it. I mean, I had one heavy night, I think, when I was in Ireland and then one heavy New Year's, which is to be expected, I suppose. But like, you know, that's this, this is progress. I think if you look at the macro trend, if you really zoom it out over the past 10 years, I think the, the trend is my friend in that sense. I'm, uh, I'm on you're, the right You've path. even got the rhymes this year. This is a um, good thing we re-signed you, huh? 
you see, this is the kind of stuff I'm bringing for 2024. I need to up my game every year. So you can not only expect better postulations, but also better rhymes. <laughs> unreal, unreal. I mean, you're just, uh, I've got a lot of work to do. I got a, my work cut out for me. That listener who tends to write in from time to time, I think is uh, the pendulum is swinging back your way in terms of who his favorite of the two co-hosts is. I can only hope so. As sooner or later, we're going to have to do the ultimate poll. Pick your co-host. Who's your fave? Uh, God only knows. I'm sure there'd be the usual manipulation and uh, intimidation tactics being used to swing the results of that. Funny coming from you. Yeah. I just think, you know, let's be, let's call it now. It's going to happen, but uh, probably better not to run that poll to be fair, at least for now. We could time it kind of with the the primary cycle. Like we, we do different polls uh, in different parts of the world as we go throughout the year and then build it all up to a big general election at the end of the year. This could be, this could be huge. Or it could be a, like a Macron situation where one of us is the president and one is the prime minister and one just appoints the other. That's a good situation. But he also, doesn't he tend to like sack his prime ministers every now and then? Like actually quite often. Yeah. He's after hiring the youngest of all time as well. So let's see how that goes. I saw that. And funny thing, now here, welcome to a lost in politics rather than lost in postulation. Dude. It's like a mini me. In fact, they call him mini Macron, this new guy. Ah, that's unfortunate for the guy. I mean, he probably has a, a strong agenda and a great track record, and he's being diminished to like, oh, you're just like a mini version of the actual important guy. That feels uh, that feels a bit painful. But that is Rough. the trend, isn't it? Because we've had uh, Sebastian, what's his name, Kurtz, or uh, from Austria, oh, Mister Slickback. Yeah, indeed, we've had Sanna Marin. We've had like a, a a glut of young politicians kicking ass recently. So uh, live politicians, right? Ones that they they weren't necessarily on the factory floor before going into politics. That is true. And I mean, Sana is not even a politician as such anymore. I don't think she's a minister. Even she's she's kind of doing her own thing. But uh, Hiking hey, Everest with you. Why not? Yeah, she was in my crew back in the day. Yeah. Throw back to episode 11 of Lost in Postulation. Look at that. Great that, you, great that you remember the actual, the actual number as well. That's huge. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you more. Today is a 44, Neil, which in Roman numerals, and this time I'm going to get it correct, is XLIV. It almost sounds like... Uh, a, a, a scam or like a, a cult a, a XLIV wasn't there one in New York that came under oh, a similar yeah. name as that that article we read actually in preparation yeah. for a cult episode yeah. it could be the name of remember LifeX from Succession you know it's that kind of, of uh, XLIV I think we could uh, we could use this love it love it or they could use it for the Succession spin-off which uh, I'd love to say there are rumors about but honestly I haven't heard anything yet I think Jesse's too smart too smart for that Right. Yeah, Jesse is. Let's see who isn't. And, and Neil, we've got a doozy lined up today, uh, as we would say back in the upper Midwest, a doozy. Uh, Big bets for 2024 uh, after the break. Listeners, welcome back once again to Lost in Postulation and to our main postulatory segment of the episode. You read it right. It's in the episode title. It is our big bets for 2024, just like last year. Great to start an annual tradition and to do this every year. We are going to be talking you through our big bets across a number of categories, which are mundane, or one of our favorite categories, the old world of mundanity, our buys and ourselves for mundane postulations. We're going to be talking about pop culture in all its forms. We're going to have a buy and a sell each. And we also have a wildcard miscellaneous category. Uh, let's see how that one shakes out or how, uh, how far off piece it takes us. 
as you can imagine, it's a lot of things. If we bring two each, this is going to bring us 12 topics and we're going to go fast and slow. We're going to hit some of them as, as bullet points. We're going to do, do little deep dives in others, but we're going to, we're going to wrap it up in a tight, uh, a tight hour as we always do. How are you feeling, Nicola? All, uh, all set for this? I'm super excited. Uh, put a good amount of thought into some of these, a bit less than others, but for me very much, these are also topics I'd love to, to continue with throughout the year, to postulate on uh, throughout and, and see where we land. 100%. And on the topic of continuing the conversation, we would love our listeners as ever to do that too. And you can do that through all of our various socials. You have our Instagram that's at InPostulation, or in fact, our Twitter is at InPostulation, and our Instagram is Lost in Postulation, if I remember it right. Always good to get that correct. Indeed. Uh, what you didn't remember right, though, is that it is no longer called Twitter. I can confirm uh, that. Everyone now has started a bit to refer mm. to it as X. I do see most media articles, they call it X, formerly known as Twitter. Because right, like, otherwise they're really going to confuse work. people. Yeah. And still, there is no word for tweet other than tweet that I'm aware of, right? Like, No, that's true. Yeah. You can't say, hey, he, he tweeted, he X'd it. No, because no. Elon was asked this and he said, oh, it's a post now. It's not a, it's not a tweet. But I still think everyone says, ah, he tweeted this, she tweeted that. Yeah. So I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm actually going to hang on to that for a while and just see if I can uh, be a boomer who uh, who still calls it Twitter. Fair enough. So we're, well, we're I think it's mostly boomers that are on it now, probably. I mean, vanishingly few. Probably even the boomers are like, this is uh, this is not cool anymore. Right. Uh, it's all about threads now. But uh, that is where you'll find us. You can also email us at lostinpostulation at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on TikTok, potentially. I don't know. Yeah, TikTok. That actually reminds me. Um, TikTok was was quite good. I got to get back on it with our Lost mm. Postulation account. So thanks for 100%. holding me to account. Holding your feet to the fire there on the socials. But uh, without further ado, I think it is time, now that we've asked the listeners to chip in, to respond, let's get into the topics themselves. Should we start with perhaps the mundane, one of our favorite uh, places to start? I think we definitely should. Um, I'm going to start positive. I'm going to start with my buy on mundanity. My buy for this year, Neil, is the rise of enthomophagy. You've lost me. Good, because I had lost myself while researching this entomophagy, Neil, also known as eating insects. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I see, you, I see this. Yeah. We've been talking about it for years, not specifically you and me, but it's always been, oh, that's one of the trends of the future. They already do it a lot in other parts of the world, in the Pacific and Asia, etc. Uh, it could be a great alternative source of uh, of proteins, whatever you want to call it. Um, scientific community is going to come for me, but I'm just I'm looking at the trends. You know, I think it it could be something that's coming. We're much more aware of what's going on in our climate, our CO two emissions. Of course, those of an insect much lower than those of a cow, for example. Uh, we might end up giving it a shot, and I think it I might have know. to be this year. I am with you also because I, I think there is a level of vegetarianism where you would kind of be okay with it, right? Like, I know vegans will, will say, it's out, forget about it. It's an animal, end of story. Um, and that's fine. But then we have vegetarians who would never eat, you know, beef or pork or chicken or whatever. But would they maybe see their way to eating a worm? I think they might. If it was, you know, dried and uh, an ingredient in a protein supplement or something. I think uh, I think you're onto something there. And I even would build on yours because one of the big topics of 2024 is going to be Wagovi, right? Or, or the, the, the various yeah. weight loss drugs, um, Ozempic and Wagovi and, and the others, right? Sure. Um, 
And one of the side effects of being on those drugs is that you need to supplement your protein intake because your appetite goes way down. So how, how can you supplement your protein intake? Well, it's going to be through potentially insects. How about that? There you go. So I agree with you. I think this is a huge one for, uh, for 24. I think it requires a mindset shift. Like Definitely. there's still, there's still this creepy crawly, ooh, gross kind of thing. But uh, I've been to enough Michelin restaurants where they serve it as a delicacy that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this. And on that creepy crawly spectrum, how far are you willing to go? I mean, are we talking all the way to tarantula for you? Or are we staying within the swing zone of, uh, you know, the bees and the, the caterpillars and, and whatnot, the, the grasshoppers uh, maybe? For me, I think hair is, or fuzz and hair is like a deal breaker when it comes to okay. things, Texture. to animals. Yeah, because a tarantula... I actually wouldn't even mind if it was a shaved, like a bald tarantula, I would probably survive. But it's just, like, tarantulas are very hairy. Same with caterpillars, same with those kind of things. And a bee, even a bumblebee, would be like, Ugh. That, that would just be a lot of hair in your mouth. Like eating a kiwi without uh, peeling it, you know? No thanks. That's fair. I mean, my assumption, is, I mean, you eat, you know, goat stew, let's say, without the hair from the goat. So, you know, maybe they, they don't keep the, the hair on the tarantula once it's served on the plate. Then I'm afraid, I mean, deep fry it and it's probably fine anyway. You know, it's just, it's all about how it's prepared. If it's just a sadly passed away tarantula on a plate, I feel I'm, I'm going to say no thanks. But yeah, it's all about how it's prepared. All about how it's prepared. And uh, I guess now we've got to hold our own feet to the fire and probably give this a shot at some time this year for a special episode. I'm up for it. We can order some, like a bag of dried uh, mealworms or something. And But like, yeah. really, I think everyone who Is has tried, I think so. Yeah, or at least it will be. Everyone who has tried insects in various forms, like I've had it in a dessert, right? Here's here's mm-hmm. a crazy one. Cado on Bornholm, the island of Bornholm. It's a restaurant that serves, it served at the time anyway, I don't know if they still do, an ice cream with ants as uh, the topping, like a sprinkle. And the ants are actually extremely acidic and strong flavored. And like, they're just a few sprinkled on top. And it really adds, it has a kind of a citric uh, acidity that adds to the ice cream dessert. And like, they wouldn't serve it if it wasn't nice, but it was really, really good. So I just think people need to take those few initial, you know, plunges and you'll be positively surprised. I love it. Enthomophagy. Remember the go. name. That's Remember my the word. Yeah. It won't be the last time we hear about it. Well, that's a great food-based mundane postulation to start. And I have one completely unrelated to that in the mundane category, all about entertainment. And I know, I know it's pop culture, but I have one for pop culture as well. This is just more about like, what do we do with our evenings? What do we do with our, you know, free time? And I'm going to go all in on YouTube premium as my, as my mundane. Now, why, why? And I'm, I'm, I'm taking it separate to pop culture. Maybe it's, it's an overlap, but anyway, couldn't resist. The reason is because uh, I got YouTube Premium just before Christmas. I, I have been so staunchly against it for so long. I watch every single ad or I, I let the ad play. I mute the TV while the ad is on. I used to watch maybe an hour of YouTube for an, in an evening, you know. But after getting YouTube Premium, it has exploded. It is so addictive because there's zero ads whatsoever. Mm. And you can do picture in picture. You can do background playing. You can do audio only. So like it now becomes actually my podcast destination as well because you know if a podcast has a video version i turn on the video version and then i can lock the phone do whatever and then unlock the phone watch a bit of it you know like it becomes this whole new uh, method of consumption when you compare then the experience of youtube premium to terrestrial tv classic tv it is honestly a joke the more you think about it how bad tv is as a user experience yes. you have 
like you're paying money. Let's not forget, like most people are paying big money to a service provider for hundreds of channels they don't want to watch ads every 15 minutes, to watch a show that happens only at random times that you may or may not be free for. It's just like the worst proposition ever. So I think cable cutting will accelerate massively. And I think people will take the plunge, even though YouTube premium is so expensive, they may just start to, in their droves, realize, hold on, it's actually worth it. Especially if you cut your cable subscription at the same time, you're talking about an actually brilliant service. So I am bullish as hell on YouTube premium. And I think everyone should get it. Interesting. You choose that. So it's not that you take the bet on cord cutting. I think that would be too much of a gimme, right? You go specifically on YouTube premium within all these other subscriptions that we have constantly, right? The HBOs, the Netflixes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, so the way you put it to me is then YouTube also basically starts acting as your Spotify as far as, well, even music, podcasts, all of it, right? Yeah. I think actually Spotify are in a spot of bother, I might say, Mm. because um, I'm, I'm probably in a very low percentage of Spotify users who's interested in albums necessarily, who like, my music consumption is what album will I listen to? I don't think that's the majority. I think the majority of people are like, what playlist am I going to rock on here? And if you're already paying for YouTube premium, you get YouTube music as part of that, which is a very similar app to Spotify, which has also great playlists potentially on it. So I do think the smart consumer would realize, okay, hold on, do I want to pay for both or which one do I want? Spotify isn't about to show me every amazing video in the world. So I think I know which one I would rather pay for. Um, And yeah, I suppose the other, the other, big argument of why YouTube is different to all the others. Uh, look at two things. First of all, the user the usage of YouTube versus any other social media is by far higher among Gen Z's in particular. So mm. even when you compare TikTok, Instagram, obviously no one uses Facebook, but like compare all of them, YouTube is like double what any of them are used by Gen Z. They are obsessed with it. It is shockingly popular. So that's a trend that's likely to continue. But number two is like producing content, as we have learned, has become easier than ever, right? So the barrier for entry is therefore extremely low, but still the algorithm is so effective that the the cream rises to the top. So you have like an endless world of amazing niche content that is tailored to you specifically and your niche interests and adapts over time, which is better than anything that Netflix, HBO, uh, et cetera, can offer because they have to produce it or buy it themselves. They don't, they're not having people make it for free, you know? So yeah, uh, long rant here, but all, all, all of that to say, uh, yeah, I think YouTube is here to stay and you should consider premium if you haven't already, especially if you're someone who watches a lot of it, like I do. Neil, the YouTuber, let's run the gauntlet real quick though. Which one would you be willing to cut on a budget in order to uh, get YouTube premium? Because the way you're pitching it to me is as your entertainment hub. Now, yeah. Netflix. Here's Here's my cheeky answer to your question right because i will not be able to pick one but what i will be able to do is tell you i will have one at a time i could easily Mm. live on one at a time so if you allow if you allow me to have just one subscription i will have say netflix and youtube right like that okay yeah then i will cancel the netflix to get hbo and watch the new series of whatever then i'll cancel that and get disney to watch the new whatever and then i'll cancel that to get amazon so and i've just been doing that i actually just watched um the, a, a film on Amazon called Saltburn. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, mm-hmm. very good. And watched all of Fleabag for the second time within the seven-day trial. So I did that completely for free. <laughs> you can like you can get a seven-day trial and just watch, tick all the boxes, like get all that done, right. and then cancel it. Uh, like amazing when when like they don't have that much good stuff. You can watch all the good stuff in a week, like no problem. And then do do that every year or something, you know. So uh, yeah. 
yeah, I think rotating is, is the way to go. Rotating is the way to go. And in fact, if they're smart, and there's already chatter about that in the US, is that they start to move towards streaming bundles, right? Yeah. Because it's gotten to the point where, I mean, maybe it's month 16 in a row, for example, where I forget to cancel Apple TV Plus, right? It's right. gotten to the point where now we have, I don't even know, six, seven of these in our household. Uh, we don't even remember all of them, don't necessarily watch all of them every month, but it starts to basically become like a cable subscription when you add them all up together. If not 100%. More. Still a better value, though, than one cable subscription. Certainly. Good. Look at all the unwatched content in a cable subscription versus, mm. okay, there is also a lot of unwatched content on YouTube, Netflix, etc. But like, still, it feels like you can choose what you want to watch when you want to watch it, which is a huge, uh, huge upside to those services. Great shout. So there you go, YouTube Premium. Should we get into a different category or should we stay with mundane? You, you think category? I say category. Okay, let's jump then to pop culture. And perhaps let's start with a sell in pop culture. I have a sell. Um, I'm disappointed to make this sell as I was disappointed to sell John David Washington last year because great guy. But, you know, I think that one turned out okay for me. Yeah, um, you're right. I'm going to sell sports documentaries this year. Mm, interesting, interesting. I think we've gone way past peak sports documentary. We're at the point of hyperinflation. Uh, take, for example, what Netflix has done where uh, they had the success with Drive to Survive. They replicated that model for basically other kind of niche individual sport like tennis, like golf. Uh, and then we're at the point where they did great with the Michael Jordan doc, The Last Dance, a couple of years ago. And mm -hmm. now they're doing it for the most mundane, boring people around. And they're no longer, my friend, only like an hour and a half documentary. Everything is a four to six parter with hour and a half episodes each. I mean, whether that's the, the Beckham documentary or the one following your friends, Harry and Meghan, which I think we watched the first 20 minutes of last year. But... Yeah. And, and that's not even a sports documentary. So maybe even my whole thing is on documentary miniseries, uh, but specifically on sports, the insights start to become the same from each one. You're not learning much. Then, you know, at that point, give me something historical and I'll just watch that instead. I think you're, that's also, your sell is also a sneaky buy, which is historical documentaries are going to be a thing. Big rather, fan. rather than contemporary sports ones, right? Which we are in the saturation period now where every uh, production company looks at Drive to Survive and Last Dance and all that and they go, okay, how can we make this lightning strike twice and how can we do that? What sport hasn't that been done for yet? I have zero interest in it, um, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm already, even with Drive to Survive, I watched the new series and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like it, I didn't I'm, even I'm, watch the last one because like yeah. I was like, well, if you watch the sport, you see how much of this is just like the pretty yeah. cutting and the re-engineering, which only really works for people that watch, that follow the sports, if you're seeing something after 20 years where you don't remember mm. the exact sequence of things, right? Yeah, it's, it's like once you're in, it's not for you anymore, I guess. It was a great recruitment tool. I'll always credit Drive to Survive with the thing that got me into Formula One, mm -hmm. but... I think, yeah, it's it's less and less relevant. And I do think it was worse as time went on as well. Like this latest season, it has become even more sensational editing where like a crash that was over in 10 seconds, they drag it out for two minutes and like, oh my God, is he dead? But like, that was never the question. Kind of, you know, like right, right. They, ju they just really, um, yeah, big it up a bit too much. But I agree with you. I think uh, sports docs, it's a sell. 
And it's not to say there haven't been great ones. I mean, I remember you and I, it must be like five, six years ago, you and I actually went to the cinema together. We saw Free Solo, gripping stuff uh, about Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan. There are brilliant ones, but Mm. now I can't separate, excuse my French, the shit from the, the good ones. I agree. And actually, the more I think about it, there's been this like interesting social media pop culture revival of history that you've probably seen people talking about their Roman Empire. This mm-hmm. is like a real recent uh, Gen Z thing of like, what's your Roman Empire? I.e., What's the thing that you think about all the time and like are obsessed about? And the podcast, The Rest is History, which uh, I've been getting more and more into, thanks to your recommendation, among others, has actually become super mainstream popular. That Unreal. The more people I talk about podcasts to in general, and I go, oh, what are you, what are you listening to? So many of them are going, oh, The Rest is History. They're doing a series on Hitler right now. Like, it is insanely popular and it's it's all extremely timely and relevant in in this new conflictual era that we're in to look back on some of like world war ii world war one etc so i do think you're probably right in fact i attach even more strongly to your sneaky buy on this one even though that wasn't your intention i do think that history documentaries will have a second wind or you'll have an oscar-winning documentary uh, about you know some historical thing whether it's like ancient history or more recent i don't know but uh yeah i think you're on I'll even go back to something I said last year. I think when I recommended the Rest of History podcast in a pop culture roundup, education administrators, listen. Mm. Look at how interested you can get people in topics such as history. Look at how interested you can get people in topics, say, such as languages, foreshadowing another bet for later, uh-huh. by gamifying, by creating good content around it, you know. I would have been much more interested in my classrooms had they complemented with some of this kind of stuff and probably would have learned even more. Absolutely. Although the one the one watch out I have is I listen to these like historical podcasts for the entertainment mainly. Yeah. Because then if if you quizzed me after the podcast, like, okay, so what were the key dates? Like who were involved? I would all, already be kind of like, eh, it was just really interesting. Like I, right, it doesn't right. actually stick as such. So maybe it's more that I just find it really interesting to listen to, but then it's like, okay, is it actually sticking? Am I learning here or is it more just fun? I don't but know. You, you might remember a little quirk about Napoleon's favorite cheese, maybe. Yeah, for example. Right. That, like little facts like that might stick out. But uh, other than that, remembering nothing. But that is a good one. I agree. Yeah, sports docs out. What is your sell on pop culture? Well, this one, I feel we're retreading some uh, some familiar ground because it's a bit similar to a topic we had last year. Last year, I think we talked about the Marvel franchise movies or mm-hmm. indeed, indeed franchise movies as a whole. And I think I want to take that topic and even go one step further and get a bit more specific, which is just Disney. I, I, I really think 23 was a pivotal year for Disney where they had a chance to maybe save themselves. But if you look at their output from 2023, now in the rearview mirror, it's appalling. It's it's absolutely dreadful. And look at what's coming. It's just live action remakes all the way along, plus stupid Star Wars sequels. And I guess they're giving up on Marvel, but they're going to, I don't know, try and revive that in a while. But they are absolutely bereft of ideas. They are literally flogging three or four dead horses, hoping that any of them will produce a dollar. I hate it. And every single Disney thing I've seen for the past year has been so disappointing. And they were doing so well. Like even the Marvel Endgame stuff, like I, I, was ba- I didn't love it, but I was like, this is interesting that they can create such a, a stir. 
but they managed to make Star Wars uninteresting. They've managed to make Marvel boring. And now they're just killing every other, like Indiana Jones crap. Live action remakes of not even that old films. Great. Good. Like who, I just hate it. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping that everyone agrees with me and that eventually it won't take much for the likes of like uh, who? DreamWorks or uh, an independent animation studio to just come along and be like, oh, by the way, here's how you do a good movie. And then blow people away with a good children's movie, you know? Yeah, I think that's a, that's been the thing with Disney. Historically, a great innovator, uh, then a great acquirer of intellectual property. What they've done the last 15 years is essentially continue to repackage the same intellectual property and lose that kind of creativity within the organization, right? Um, that that runs out at some point to the point where now also from a financial perspective, the company is in horrible health because their big bet, if you will, was on Disney Plus on streaming where they've just burned all their cash reserves basically. And now they're talking about breaking up the company, selling off units such as ESPN, uh, yeah. et cetera. So I think, yeah, hard sell on uh, on Disney, not just in terms of their content. I would add, you know, as a company package the way it is today, I don't think when we're doing this podcast next year, it looks the same. Uh, I think as well, there's so much to talk about here in terms of what do they actually do well now? Because their parks are notoriously underwhelming as well. Like the, yeah. if you want to go to a good theme park, nobody tells you, oh, go to Disneyland Paris. You know, it's go to a proper good theme park, go to Six Flags if you're in America, you know, mm-hmm. it, you're going to get ripped off. You're going to overpay for the accommodation. You're going to be sitting in queues the whole time. So they don't do that well. They don't do movies well. They don't do streaming well. The only good thing that has come out of Disney is their acquisition of FX, which has allowed me to watch The Bear. But like, if it wasn't for that, I literally would have nothing positive to say about the entire Disney ecosystem. So yeah, let's see a year from now, but that is my big sell for pop culture. It's an interesting one that you mentioned DreamWorks because this weekend, uh, so uh, our son is now nearly three months. He doesn't know what's going on on the TV, you know, but sometimes like he sees shapes and colors and it can kind of calm him, whatever. And my wife put on Madagascar. I hadn't seen that movie in, you know, maybe 15 years. Amazing, gripping. I was like, wow, let's do this again. It is a weirdly good movie, actually. I think at, at its time, it was easy to write it off as like, okay, they just got four celebrities and just got them to say stuff. But there's some good jokes in there. The Penguins are good. I think it's a, it's a solid movie. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would buy um, Madagascar, but that isn't my big bet. Not the country, the, uh, the, the movie, yes. Maybe the country also. Actually. I'm hearing good things uh, about okay. uh, visiting it. It's starting to uh, to get up there in terms of uh, tourism infrastructure. Okay, okay. Glad yeah. to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was our. this was our pop culture sells. Should we jump again? Jump category once more? Let's jump again. Let's go to miscellaneous. Hit me mm. with your buy on miscellaneous. So I felt I took this to be like wildcard, do whatever, make it whatever you want, yeah. right? And... I have to, this is probably disappointing. I, I'm going again for pop culture. I, I couldn't resist. There's one particular thing that I had to get in because my, I have another buy for pop culture, right? But here's my, my additional buy. Messed up films, right? I know last year I said horror films were going to come back and they didn't really, but I watched Saltburn and more importantly, I've watched the reaction to Saltburn out there in the world. And I've listened to people, just, people discussing other films in that vein and just for anyone who doesn't know, Saltburn uh, it has been a, a massive social media phenomenon. Not necessarily because it's a good film; it is fine. Like it's, it's. I really, I've seen a lot of people describe it as a solid seven out of ten, which I think is is accurate. 
but it is extremely memorable and extremely challenging in certain parts. There's certain scenes where you as a viewer are challenged, are you going to keep looking at this or are you going to look away? It's kind of that level of uh, shocking. And the reaction has been fantastic, I think. And I think it's been fantastic, a bit linked to my Disney point, because people are sick of movies where everybody's so, totally safe. Nobody is ever going to die. Everyone's happy. The, the person wins at the end. Nothing challenges you at all, right? Whereas Saltburn definitely asks a lot of you as a, as a viewer and leaves you with a lot of questions at the end where you're like, oh, wow, this was like an experience. And you want to talk about it and share it, et cetera. So Saltburn has been massive. And I think that's where we're going to go, that every few months we're going to get a movie either in cinemas or in streaming or whatever where everyone is just like you have to watch it it's so messed up i couldn't believe it i feel like we have an appetite for that i think we're tired of friendly happy innocent movies and we want something a bit more uh, gritty so that's that's my buy for the miscellaneous i've got to get into saltburn um Definitely. Barry uh, Keegan, yeah. Rosamund Pike, right? Yeah, um, great cast. And uh, Barry Keoghan, or Keo, I would call him Keoghan. I'm sorry. Yeah, depends how how you how hard you hit that G, but uh, he does a fantastic job, but so does the whole cast. And it isn't quite your, your thing. I feel like you'll come away saying, I didn't enjoy the way in which Why I Why do you challenged. say that? What are you pigeonholing me as? Someone that doesn't want to be intellectually challenged by his film watching? Yeah, it's not intellectual challenge that I'm talking about here. Um, have you heard what happens in the film? Are, do you like do you? No, no, I I would go in uh, relatively blind. That is, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you that it's a good idea to do that. But you will listen back on this conversation and be like, "Oh wow, what little I knew about this film." What, after you've watched it, of course. Any oh. any of the listeners who've seen it now, they're just like laughing to themselves at what you're in for. So um, all right, I'll bookmark it. Bookmark it. It's on Amazon. You can see it within the seven-day trial, as I said, as I said earlier. Good. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So that's my that's my buy. What about you? Fantastic, miscellaneous. My buy, Neil. I alluded to it slightly. You type this into the Google Trends. It's basically heading for an all-time high. We've really enabled it with players such as Duolingo in the last years. Neil is language learning. We've discussed Ooh. languages on this podcast. I think it's going to go up, up, and up. No reason not to. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, that one is probably the first so far where I would actually have a few question marks. I would have a, a bit of doubt. Well, and and I understand them, right? Because I myself, regardless of speaking the languages I speak, often come back to the point of, well, at the end of the day, the only lingua franca that truly matters is English, right? And you know, it's it's the only one that's done things for me, you know, career-wise, whatever. We don't record this podcast in Norwegian, for example, right? Uh, we'd have to learn it first, but still. But there is something about, I've, and maybe it's within within a circle, but within a wider circle of family and friends, I don't think at any point in my life I've had that many people currently learning a language through hmm. their apps, whatever. I had... Um, a good friend of mine who, whose parents were Arabic speakers, for example, but they didn't pass the language on to to them to the kids. Um, and now, you know, coming coming into his uh, his thirties, friend of mine, uh, all of a sudden, now he can do it without having to go to all the classes, without having to invest in all the immersion, and he's rediscovering uh, this, which is a very difficult language, of course, Levantine Arabic. Um, but yeah, I've had so many examples of that lately where I'm just like, I'm I'm bullish on language learning. Maybe I'm also biased by the fact that 
our son at the moment hears three languages a day in the home. Um, certainly I'm biased because of that. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. where that's my bet for the year. I'm bullish on your son's language learning. Let's be clear. I believe that that kid will grow up to be a, a polyglot of, of some renown, I'm sure. Uh, but where, why I hesitate a bit more is just because I've seen so many examples recently, both here in Denmark and also around further afield, mm. that local languages such as e.g. Danish are becoming kind of obsolete. Dying. Uh, sadly, yeah. I saw a post on the Danish uh, subreddit there, I think it was two or three days ago, where it was in Danish and someone was saying, I am super disadvantaged in my career because my English is really bad. And this is a person who is Danish living in Denmark. Yeah. That they're working in a big uh, company and their boss's boss's bosses is, you know, an expat because that's often what happens. They, they bring them in from abroad and then the, the language becomes English. And the ones who have great English through, you know, having learned it in school, having worked abroad or studied abroad as well in Denmark, they get ahead because they can communicate what they mean and do what they actually, you know, get across how good they are much more clearly than those who can't. And I imagine that this is replicating itself across the world in any country where the national language is not one that's like widely spoken, i.e. English, French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, you know. Right. So I suppose my wonder is like, is language learning going to grow or is English learning going to grow? But your point is is self-fulfilling in a way, right? Because the reason why, for example, we have cities, say like Copenhagen uh, or Stockholm, where at this point, Amsterdam even, Mm. there are more speakers, first and second language of English than of the local language in those cities. And the reason for that is because of language learning. Yeah, for sure. But it's and it's English learning, though, to be clear, English like, learning. Yeah. As you said, in the start of yours, it's not that everyone is like, oh, what language will I learn now? Everyone is like, there is an economic imperative to learn English to succeed in the world mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. There's just too many companies and too much media and too much everything that happens in English now. And you see it reflected everywhere. Like if, if I go to any European capital and go to a coffee shop in it, I'm 100% sure I can order in English like the, the staff or the staff will understand either because they have learned English as a second language or they, uh, yeah, they, they just want to speak English or they only speak English, let's say. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's cool to see people using the apps and stuff. And I'm a huge believer in language learning, as you know, right? I think it's an amazing mm-hmm. thing. We did a whole episode on it. It's a great investment, regardless of if you're ever going to use it or not. I am a little unconvinced by Duolingo, though. I have used it a lot myself. I think it's good for maybe a bit of vocab building. I don't think it's what you can use to become fluent in any language. Certainly not. It's a start. Uh, And I do think there's a gap in the market still. I do think there must be some offering out there that leverages technology in a better way to unlock fluency. Haven't seen it yet. But what is cool, actually, on this is ChatGPT, I can just say. The voice chat, the voice chat on ChatGPT, I can just have fluent conversations in Danish now. And it corrects me if I make a mistake because I tell it to. And uh, that is that is potentially the future of language learning, but uh, maybe one for another time. That could be something. I'll just leave you with one more anecdote. While I was learning Danish a couple of years ago, uh, we're doing it online. So here's another enabler, right? So we had people tuning in from all over the world to to learn Danish, this, this small language. And we had a couple people in the class, which uh, when they said, why are you uh, learning Danish already, you know, at an intermediate level by that point. Um, yeah, well, I, I loved watching Borgen on Netflix. Uh, and I'd like to watch my Danish series in the original language without the English subtitles. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'll it's as good a reason as any. It's as good a reason as any. Why not? 
It must be accelerated by that. Neil, I say we take a very quick break and come back and do the rest of our big bets. Listeners, welcome back. We've still got a few big bets to go. Very excited now, Neil, to hear your sell for the mundane category. And please do not Trojan horse it as pop culture again. I promise it is not a pop culture in disguise. It's something that we've already talked about a little bit uh, at the start of this episode, though. I am talking, of course, about alcohol. Now, I know it's very easy for me to sit on my high horse here. Speaking of Trojan horses, I'm sitting on my high horse here doing dry January and therefore able to say whatever I want. Over. 10 days in, not exactly uh, changing the world here, but I am growing uh, a little bit of a suspicion here that alcohol is kind of going through. It's having a moment and not a good one. Um, similar to how cigarettes have gone through this over the last few years to the point now where smoking is kind of a bit bizarre to do if you're like... In, of our generation, at least. like In Europe, you're talking, because in the U.S., it has been for 30, 40 yeah, years. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's really toxic in the U.S. I mean, from what I can see, at least, anyone our age who smokes, it's like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And that's finally getting, it's finally arriving here, at least among, you know, a certain demographic, and Gen Z in particular, right? But I think the same is now becoming true of alcohol also. And... I think we're going to see hopefully a shift now back away from alcohol towards a lovely food, like just really, really nice food that people want to go out and enjoy mm-hmm. on a weekend and then be experiences over alcohol because alcohol is like a shortcut to an experience, right? If we, if we really simplify it down, it, it removes any barriers of self-consciousness and then unlocks you know, lower inhibitions and more uh, fluid social interactions, whatever. But if you can get to that without alcohol, it's like a million times favorable right so any any company or service who offers that like escape rooms or you know these like vr rooms or like other experiences that are going to achieve broadly the same thing like fun basically i mean that's what we're actually going for here it's fun right Uh, i think alcohol as a means to fun is like becoming redundant and certainly when you compare it or when you combine it with the hangover which i think is the biggest issue that people are having is just that too much of their lives are being spent in bed ordering takeaway because they've ruined their whole weekend because they had to drink a bit so all of that long intro to say, I think finally now, and I'm not just saying it because I'm on dry January, I do think we'll have a bit of a pop culture shift away from alcohol. I think pubs will suffer. I think pubs will have to have a look at what is it they actually offer, mm-hmm. uh, look into their food menus, look into their board game options, you know, like whatever it is that they can offer instead, I think they have to look at. So that's my, uh, that's my hot take. I like the positive spin you put on it. So you present it as an opportunity, for example, with the board games, that's very you at the at the pubs, uh, etc. And I think, look, you know, the hangovers is one aspect. The other aspect is this huge cost on societies which use it as, um, use the alibi, it's part of our culture, but then have a huge cost on their healthcare systems because people are getting admitted for a lot of alcohol-related issues, right? Um, on a bit of a grim note, what is encouraging what you say, we were discussing this with uh, with Maria the other day, is actually the newer generations. If you look at the numbers, there are more that are choosing to teetotal. Now, yeah. whether that's the answer or not, I don't know. Like, you should also be able to say, hey, I'm a very moderate drinker. I have, you know, a glass of champagne at weddings, whatever. It shouldn't have to be this polarized, um, I don't drink at all, or I binge drink, right? Because 
the reason why it's kind of been that wedge lately is because the only way to kind of get out of the pressure of drinking in a social scenario is to say, hey, no, I never do it, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe we also get to, because of these trends, we also get to a more healthy acceptance of, hey, everyone, you know, do what do what you want with it, but don't, don't judge uh, inside or outside. I mean, I can tell you for myself, but that was just something I probably had, you know, my first full beer when I was... 17 18 not not younger than that right mm-hmm. and then i was you know experimenting a bit you know with drinking for maybe i don't know a period of of seven years or so had a few nights where you know it, it went crazy where you you reach your limits where you say things you didn't want to say right some uh, uh some some learning moments and then by the time uh you know i was basically 28 i had gradually like decreased it because i was like the marginal gains of this do i didn't like it enough to deal for example with the hangover the next day etc to the point where then you gradually decrease it where then even one glass has that impact which you were trying to avoid where then you know i cut it all together it has not and maybe it's also how my personality is but it has not gotten in the way of my social habits for example no for sure i think there are still unfortunately a few too many downsides of teetotaling mm-hmm. to make it somewhat impractical at least for me and maybe it's also a bit corporate culture but like there is so much about parties and like you know after work yeah. events and stuff where even just to get through them you kind of need a beer just because you're having to have otherwise cold conversations with people you don't know and aren't friends with you know it's like right the alcohol is kind of the thing that makes it tolerable right. in a sense. So there there are, and that's maybe being dramatic, but like there are of course enough moments where it is at least enough of a benefit that I'm like, okay, I'll have a drink here or whatever. But I do think um, we need to just further the research, I think on, is there a safe c- consumption of alcohol at any amount, right? Because we, I guess, hope and pray that one once in a while is fine or two or whatever, but I think there's a growing body of evidence now to suggest that no alcohol is ever okay, really. That like it's it's never not doing you damage. A bit like one cigarette is always doing you damage. Like it's not. There's no such thing as a one right. cheeky one. You know. Uh, I think that that research will probably continue, or at least from what I've briefly been able to gather online, like there's just this growing evidence of you could really not justify drinking at all from a health perspective. And if alcohol was somehow discovered now rather than thousands of years ago. I think you would instantly make it a class A drug and ban it because it's extremely addictive, extremely harmful. Right. Like uh, it, there's no way you would legalize it. It's just because of this cultural aspect, as you say, that it has survived as long as it has. We accept it. Yeah. In that sense. I mean, look, and I, and I don't think it has to be, like I said, it doesn't have to be a principled stand you take where you say, Oh, I'm a Tito taller and let's convert everyone. No, like, we just need to normalize the fact that you can be at a party and say no to, uh, you know, a beer without everyone looking at you and saying, why don't you drink? Because actually the question should be the other way around. Why that do? person should yeah. be asking, why do you drink? Right. Yeah, But there is this social thing, though, of, you know, the way with alcohol, your mm-hmm. memory get, is impaired. Right. So everyone is a bit like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll uh, I'll do whatever. We're all a bit drunk. It's fine. Right. Right. The sober Joe at that party then. It, it puts everyone else on edge a bit. It's like, oh, he's going to remember everything I say. Yeah. I don't want to talk to him because if I say something stupid, everyone else is going to let it go. But is he, you know, like he's right. going to remember every word. So I do think, but then but as, as adults, then again, yeah. should drunkenness yeah. be an excuse for no, 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 no. Behavior? 
Agreed. Then it raises the question again of like, isn't there just a tipping point here where if enough people are sober, then the rest of the drunk people will also be like, hmm, maybe I'll just be sober mm. then, you know, because right. it, it, it no longer is worth that, uh, that embarrassment, you know. But yeah, fascinating. Uh, it'll be interesting to see in 2024. Let's have a look at the financial statements of all the big boys, you know, the Carlsbergs yeah. and the Heinekens of, of the world and see if they start talking about it. But I do think they need to start looking at low or no alcohol alternatives as a big part of their offering. And making them good, right? Because or else yeah, I go for a Coca-Cola. Oh yeah, 100%. Neil, my sell here on Mundanity, big bets. I was going to throw out, you know, your, your cryptos and these types of things. Mm. But then I went a bit more macro. Um, and even actually, maybe the other way, a bit more niche. I am selling, Neil, celebrity cult endorsements. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah. think, it's kind of been scary how much it's it's peaked a bit in the last years. We've had the Gwyneth Paltrow's of the world. We've had, you know, even your your Matt Damon's doing uh, Crypto.com commercials, all of this. And it's come back to bite a lot of these people in the butt. Um, so I think there is some collective learning that uh, that is happening uh, in Hollywood and everything. We saw all the ones with, with Sam Bankman-Fried, all of his backers, etc., right? Uh, to the point where celebrity cult endorsements, and yes, I am calling these things cults because that's why they take these these personalities in to promote them. I think they've had their day in the sun. They've been burned harshly by it, and they're going to start fizzling out, and they should because just because you've had success in one thing and you have a status and you're famous because of that thing doesn't give you the license to talk about everything else, right? It's like 100%. at the onset of the pandemic when um, when they Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool's manager, was in a press conference and they're asking him what he was thinking about uh, what lockdown policies and stuff should be. And he got so angry and he said, why do we always do this? My job is to coach a football team. I'm here wearing a baseball cap. Do not ask me about serious things. He's right. And I mean, it would be naive of me to think that this is indicative of a larger trend of entire celebrity culture becoming less of a thing. I'm not mm. so naive as to think that that's the case. I do think we're going to have this Kardashian obsession for another few more years. Who's dating who? Who said what to who? Like, I, I, unfortunately, that is, there's an empire, there's an entire industry built around it. That's, that's here to stay. But I do at least think we've had enough examples now of person X endorsing product Y where the overlap of the Venn diagram of person X's expertise and person Y's or product Y's, you know, input is like zero. Right. You, uh, it's just almost destined to fail. If you think about it from a, any rational consumer lens, right? If this product is paying this person to talk about it, rather than just selling you the product itself, isn't that by definition indicative that it's not a good product? Like, mm-hmm. why don't they just talk about the actual good thing or just, you know, offer you a right. compelling product at a good price and hope that that actually with some good marketing elsewhere is going to move the needle instead of getting uh, Brad Pitt to tell you it's great, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one thing, you know, uh, Tiger Woods partnering with Nike or Michael Jordan partnering with Nike stuff that they actually use to do their job. And you can see them using to do their job right here. We've just gone, like you said, the Venn diagrams are so opposed that like, we're off the deep end. I actually think the only exception I'll make for this is Red Bull F1 because, and Red Bull a bit more broadly because what you have there is celebrity endorsement of a kind, but it's kind of been turned backwards, if you get me. Where, so Max Verstappen is endorsing the drink of Red Bull, right? 
but he's winning because the team Red Bull is in ma- is amazingly good and giving him a car that he can win in, you know? So it's a bit this like virtuous cycle of he's a huge celebrity and everyone wants to know what he's into. And he's has this halo effect on the Red Bull brand because of that. But the Red Bull brand is also making him a superstar. Like they're aiding his success. Like, like you say with Nike, with, uh, with Jordan or, or with uh, Tiger Woods, right? So I suppose that's the only one where I'm okay with it, where if you sell, I don't know, trampolines and then you sponsor the world's best trampoliner and he only jumps on your trampolines, then right. you, I think that's fair. Like that, that is an effective yeah. marketing strategy because you're going, look how good it is that this guy uses it, you know? And it's intellectually honest. You're not yeah. deceiving. Yeah, exactly. But when you have Jake Paul or Logan Paul or whichever one sells Prime the drink, you know, mm. let's think about like how much time has Logan Paul spent in the lab concocting the various recipes? What what track record of beverage industry experience is he drawing on when he's marketing and creating this product? He's not, obviously. He's literally just been pasted on the front of it and th- that's it. So what consumer li- really, I, I know there's a lot of people drinking Prime, but like, do we really believe that that is a good product because his face is attached to it? It's just, yeah. Hard to believe that people actually, you know, get on board, but they do. And a lot do, but that's my sell. It's going to be less and less starting this year, Neil. We'll keep that monitored. And I would say now, do you want to travel to the world of pop culture or world of miscellaneous? Well, I think let's do pop culture. Let's do pop culture and then we'll we'll come back to it, to, to the world of miscellaneous. So... I have a buy that I can throw out. I don't think it'll be too long a discussion because it's very simple. This buy is one person. It is the actor Andrew Scott. Now, hmm. have you, I, first of all, are you familiar with Andrew Scott? Do you know who he is? A face doesn't come to the name. So I am currently live. I am being him. Andrew yeah. Scott, actor Spectre. He was so in he's Spectre. A, Band of Brothers. 1917. Yeah, yes, I remember him. Sure. Yeah, exactly. He was big in that. Um, he is going to win an Oscar, I believe, or at least he'll be nominated for Best Actor for a film called All of Us Strangers, which is doing the the award circuit at the moment. And he's mm-hmm. picking up, he's, he picked up like 40 nominations for it already. He's in that with Paul Mescal. It's an Irish, uh, set, in, set in Ireland. I don't know if it's Irish produced movie. Uh, apparently it's very good. I haven't seen it, but I just rewatched Fleabag again as well. I don't know if you have you seen Fleabag. No, on Amazon. I would watch that before you watch uh, when when you get your free trial of Amazon. Start with Fleabag. Enjoy that. Does it fit in the seven days? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's only twelve episodes, thirty minutes each. Wonderful. So you'll you'll fly through it. Um, that's unbelievable. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, written and directed and starring, and with an amazing cast. Uh, Olivia Coleman is in it as well. Your fave. So there you go. My leader. Anyway, he's in that. He's absolutely phenomenal in it. He plays a, a priest and he's amazing. He's a, one of the main characters of season two. Uh, at the same time now, he's about to go through the Oscar circuit for the first time. He has uh, been nominated for, I think, a Golden Globe for this, for All of Us Strangers, this new movie. So like, he's absolutely blazing a trail. He's an Irish actor who has phenomenal gravitas. You can watch videos of him on YouTube doing Shakespeare and stuff, and he's absolutely amazing. And specifically, I think he's the new Adam Driver. Cause, Ooh. and this is a this is a buy sell combo. I think Adam Driver. Sorry, buddy, he has really had his time in the, in the sun now. Too he many Italian done, accents. Too many Italian accents. Too many bad movies. Like mm. frankly, um, he is. We're bored of him. He was odd looking and and great at acting, and that made him <laughs> that made him kind of compelling. 
but there's only so many Adam Drivers you can watch before you're like, yeah, he's going to do his Adam Driver thing. It's, it's oh, fine. Wow. And I would even I would even tar Timothy with the same brush, to be honest, Mr. Chalamet. I would oh. say we're kind of we're kind of bored of him. Like, you know, we've had enough of these long haired, dark haired lads, wow. you know, wow. we, need a, we need somebody a bit more Irish, a bit more compelling, a bit more charismatic. <laughs> Uh, less, a bit more Irish. What, what a triple backhanded slap. Just dial up the Irishness. Because we're having, of course, a moment. We have Paul Mescal, one of the everyone's favorite actors at the moment. We have Barry Keoghan, fresh off his uh, Saltburn success. And we have now Andrew Scott about to win an Oscar, potentially. Let's not forget, it's not that long ago that we had Colin Farrell up for an Oscar as well as Brendan Gleeson. It's been a phenomenal year, years for the Irish actors. So I think uh, bring it on even more so in 2024 and watch out. For Andrew Scott. We, uh, me as an honorary Irishman, of course, great affinity between the Italians and the Irish at times. Um, my only question on this, and uh, I like where you're going with it. I've loved Mescal in the last year. I loved uh, Banshees of Inisherin last year, all of this. But my only question is, how much are you pocketing from the Irish Actors Guild for these cult-like endorsements? I did sign a non-disclosure, so I can't tell you. Of course you but, do, but it is a lot. It is a it is a lot. Wow. I'm playing my I'm playing my little part, you know. Like um, you just can't keep an Irishman down, you know. Like if I see another Irish guy who's on the verge of success, I'm going to tell everybody about it because I just want to just want to see them do well. This coming from the guy that walks around Copenhagen and crosses to the other side of the street when he sees another Irish person because, and I quote, "That's why I left." There's probably a lot that a therapist could unpack here on this, but uh, <laughs> it's it's not for this episode. I'm I'm proud to say, uh, delighted to say, and uh, it's one we'll have to take up maybe in a future live therapy episode, but it won't be this episode. So uh, that's my pop culture buy. Don't know if you have a, a similar or perhaps an even bigger bet. I have one. I am gonna buy global content. Um, a bit like what I said with languages, etc. What we've seen in the last years is, and maybe it's in part driven by like what we discussed last year on our episode, I believe seven, where have all the good films gone? Hollywood just going so deep into franchises. At the same time, we've had the rise of streaming, making original content from other countries available. Uh, and people, you know, even in English speaking countries are watching these in original language with, uh, with subtitles whether that be Nordic noir series or films from Korea or whatnot. We even had one Parasite win the Oscar a couple of years ago. But I say global content, not just film and TV. I think we're going to start seeing this a bit more also towards music in this year, Neil. And that's why it's great to have you here as somebody that keeps his foot firmly jammed. In the door that separates, what is it? Keep going. Us mere mortals <laughs> from the music from the music industry. industry. There it is. I I, I was oh, almost what? I was almost able to say it along with you. I need to practice it a bit more. Uh, my door, my foot in the door has been reduced to a, a, a toe, a, a toe nail, toe, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe a big toe because I don't play any music with anybody these days, other than at home for the for the fun now and then. So my claim to music industry membership is is vanishing, but. I would I would love to see you proven right on this because it is a shame that like with film, uh, English is the lingua franca of the music industry, indeed by and large. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's my bet there. Let's see where it goes, and then we have uh, just our miscellaneous cells left. Neil, kick us off. Yeah, geez. So um, 
I'm bringing back one more from last year because God. I think it just needs it needs a, another reflection, another another update, right? You know, it, 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 I'm talking, of course, about social media, right? Now, mm. uh, why am I why am I selling social media? Hold on, I had some good notes on this, so I don't want to miss anything. I think the thing with social media is uh, Gen Zs, right? That is, uh, maybe I'm obsessed with Gen Zs. Maybe I'm. Uh, Maybe I'm over-indexing in my Gen Z listening, but if you talk to anybody under the age of like 25, the idea of even posting something on Instagram is cringe. Mm. Of even even having a story on Instagram is kind of cringe, actually. Wow. Uh, it's actually, the more I talk, to, or the more people I talk to, I'm like, it is actually more like the tw- 25 to 35s that are still doing stuff like Instagram stories or posts. And if you go to anybody's Instagram page, have a look at when they last posted. It is like in many cases, six months to a year. Nobody's actually doing that anymore. And I think we've all kind of come through and out the other side. And it's now like what was the the death of Facebook and Twitter, right? Which everyone kind of left in their droves. It has spread now even onto Instagram and Snapchat and even Be Real. That had its time in the sun last year, but that even, I mentioned it last year, but that one has also died a bit of a death mm. tiktok is has become this kind of cringe epicenter where i mean everyone either thinks of it as chinese spyware or something for kids to do dances on like there is this overall feeling of like i don't need or want or get much out of putting myself online and having other people do a thumb on uh what i post to tell me it's good you know and you heard me say earlier that youtube i think is primed for an explosion and i agree that I, I i stand by that 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 isn't really a social media to me that's a content platform that's like a creative space where people can put things that actually have value they can make a documentary about whatever the hell you know uh insects as a protein source and they will get loads of interest from people who want to hear just about that whereas honestly john who went on holiday and puts the pictures up nobody cares no, really people don't care like they yeah. even vocally don't care you know right. and they're, they're openly saying that's cringe and I, I wouldn't post that also in the age of privacy now where you just don't know where it's going to end up you can easily demonstrate this as well like go to any colleagues instagram or facebook and there's probably a few photos there where you'd be like do you really want this online like I, it, it, it's just like yeah i think the time is up basically for for social media as or at least the concept of posting your life online okay i think yeah. even more so than last year it's like it's done. It's over. Yeah, I'll back that bet. But with the caveat that screen, phone, content usage keeps going up. I walked oh, yeah. after lunch today past past a coffee shop where there was a round table with five or six youths, the Gen Zs as you would call them. I mean, I think they were about 14, 15. Five or six of them with their coffees just served. Every single one staring into their phones, except for one that was interesting, who was just in a daze looking at the others like, why am I friends with you guys? So This is what friendship is now. Right. I, I, have to, I honestly think we either get with the program here or we resign ourselves to not having friends because there is no longer an option, at least that I'm aware of, you know, where you will go and socialize with someone and both of you just never touch your phone. You know, it just isn't right. like... It has yeah. become now this third limb of ours or, you know, this third arm that we just have to kind of 
have on us at all times. Yeah. And I, I agree with you that that's going nowhere. And I, I should probably be sharper in what I'm saying. I don't think social media sharing is going to be going away. I think Reddit, YouTube, all those kind of things, algorithm-based content will is here to stay for sure. What is not here to stay is us each all sharing our lives to a network of people online in hopes of getting likes for it. I think that's like um, a, a practice that had its moment and we got the dopamine out of it that we could and now it doesn't do that anymore and people see through it as a transparent bid for attention and it's like nah that's not going to make me happy we've squeezed the the dopamine lemon to to fruition and speaking of squeezing the dopamine level to fruition this is a wonderful segue into my cell which is for you uh oh i'm just going to say it and let it sit royal families yeah I think you're, you've you've captured the zeitgeist well here. I've been seeing even in the last week, you heard about uh, Troning Makaeda of course. in Denmark, who uh, who did a mic drop application, which you don't see many of in the 21st century. Oh man! Uh, she literally, for those who don't know, she does a speech every year on New Year's, and uh, it's at which six o'clock. Everyone watches. Everyone watches. I watched it live, and she just does the usual every year. It's just like, let's all, you know, say a big thank you to the firemen and the work, frontline workers, and also the immigrants and also the homeless people. You know, she just kind of gives shout outs to everybody. And she did that, and then she was like, "Also, I'm getting pretty old, and actually, I'm done. So, see you." And yeah. the Denmark went nuts. I mean, the media went into a biggest thing that's happened in the last fifty years. Pretty much. I mean, she is the longest, she was the longest reigning monarch in the world, right? So it was a big deal. But again, it's another nail in the coffin for the monarchy where people are now questioning, yeah, oh, she's so great. But actually, like, why? Why do we have her? And right, and, exactly. You know, uh, it is your money, guys, that's going. Let's all pay our taxes. And it is our taxes that go. Ours included, you and me yeah. both. Yeah. And same if you live in the UK, if you live in Belgium, if you live in any country that has a royal family yeah. who for some reason still are in power. And it just kind of, it, it, it's such a ridiculous old relic from a, from a bygone era. And I'm all for culture. I'm all for history. But this is like, let's leave some things in the past. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm a famous non-royalist, as you know. But uh, no, I 100% agree with you. That's what I wanted. I wanted to unlock Neil of the Republican, the Irish Republican in that sense. And um, yeah, but I, I think just, you know, we're, we're at a time when it's, it's certainly not fit for purpose. It's good for, for TV, but we can keep doing that. Uh, you look even, I think, in the UK last year, the sentiment was very much the respect for Queen Elizabeth, right? And not yeah. for the institution and the pomp. I would... Anybody who has done a job for 50 years, mm. I would be like, let's give them a big round of applause. Like, as in, that's always 70, even, right? So, exactly. It's a, so it's always worth celebrating that. And I, I would love if it was possible just to celebrate anybody, like in our society, if we were to say, look at these people who have dedicated their lives yeah. to a cause. Isn't that amazing? Let's all celebrate and give them money. All of that. That's fine. But this royal family concept of like, well, they were anointed by God, so we're going to take your money and we're actually going to give it to them because they're super special because of God. Like, I mean, can I make it any clearer? Like, this is so outrageous when you just spend even the tiniest moment. And of course, the intellectual argument back is, oh, but think of the tourism. I mean, Buckingham Palace. It doesn't matter. It's like, still there. 
Yeah. Leave it there. Like you can you can turn it into the world's best tourist attraction by dissolving the royal family, doing guided tours of the palace itself, charging an absolute arm and a leg for it if you want. It'll be like the, the Vatican times a hundred. You know, the Vatican got it right, by the way. Like for everything about the, the, that the Catholic Church got wrong, like at least opening the doors and charging an arm and a leg, or at least twenty or thirty euros to get in there, I think was just masterstroke. And the royal families need to either get with the program. Tour, tourist up their whole thing and make a roller coaster on the grounds of Windsor Castle or uh, just get out of here altogether. It's one of the you, other. You, my friend, have performed a mic drop of your own there. Nothing more to add. Should we sum up our big bets for 2024? Neil, lead us off. I suppose what we're saying, guys, is it's going to be a year about looking after yourself. It's about drinking less and consuming more, making yourself happy. Watch what you want to watch. Watch who you want to watch. Watch Andrew Scott be amazing. Don't bow to the disney overlords you know watch messed up weird challenging stuff that makes you think don't watch what you're fed through the corporate machine and get off social media that's my that's my summary at least and i want to hear your your summary of your buys and sells also unbelievable i mean look listeners this is the year where we go global in terms of our consumption including what streams through our years it is the year where we say no to sports docs and maybe give that history channel a buzz it is also the year where finally we start to explore new protein sources in insects potentially hairy tarantulas and those will not be endorsed by celebrities because they will not be cults couldn't have put it better myself Thank you, listeners, for another amazing year with Lost in Postulation. We're looking forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, no parting shots from my side. Anything from you, sir? Listeners, come for us as ever. There's going to be many a topic in this episode that has rustled your feathers to no end. So please do reach out on all the usual channels. We would love to hear from you. And uh, we will address all of your shots in uh, upcoming episodes. He's Neil Fitzpatrick. I'm Nicola Volpi. This was Lost in Postulation, an LIP production. We bid you farewell, listeners, and hear from you soon.